Hey, welcome to Dad Bod History. I'm Eric. Jake. And Cameron. And I think tonight we're going to kind of do a pandemic to progress redux, kind of revisit that from the end of July uh, to see where we are at right now. And I have some questions regarding some. July feels like it was so long ago. You just said July, and I feel like that was seven years ago. (laughs) Yeah, well, March was a long time ago. I yeah, no, I think March, I think Reagan was president in March. That's how long Something ago that like feels. This. I still have in my classroom, March 13th on my little calendar. It's like these wooden blocks that I move. And I still mm-hmm. have it as March 13th. And the kids are like, you ever going to change it? I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever want to. That was our last day we were in school. And we've been back, but it's not, I don't want to change it. I like to know that date. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so I think I kind of want to talk about the pandemic and where we're at. Um, okay. Our, our pandemic chronicles are, are uh, kind of talk about that a little bit and some things. But from the dad front. Yes. Jake. I got one for you. It happened today, no less. Uh, so my wife wakes me up and she says she's going to go to the store this morning like at 6 6 30 something like that to go get thing groceries and um and then to get food for thanksgiving so i'm like okay so i went back to sleep because the kids were still asleep and um i woke up at about 7 40 my daughter wakes me up and she goes hey dad wake up and I'm like okay so i wake up and i look at my phone and i see 16 missed phone calls <laughs> and i check my texts only half were from me. No, only oh. only half were from you. Um, <laughs> you. You and my wife are definitely my top two contacts on my favorites list. Um, and basically, the texts were about the same amount of text. So about 16 phone missed calls and about 16 missed texts. And it was, hey, answer your phone, like now, please, now. And uh, it, long story short, my car, which she took, um, and I have a history of this, uh, pushing the, the E on my gas tank as far as I possibly can before filling it up. So usually on Friday, it's very low. And I'll go on Monday and fill it up. But if my wife takes my car in between Friday and Monday, she has to go fill up my gas tank. And she's told me this many, many times to stop doing that. And this time... Uh, my car ran out of gas on the way to the store. And so she had to go walk to the gas station, buy a gas can, fill it up, go fill up the car, go fill up the gas tank the rest of the way, and then go to the store. And the time, by the time I woke up and called her back, she had done all those things. She had walked to the gas station, got the gas can, got the car started and filled up the tank. She was just about to head to the store. And uh, she was not happy with me. That is an understatement. Let's just leave it at that. But uh, should yeah. we have her on? Can yeah, we interview so was, her about this? 
Yeah, that'd I, be pretty entertaining. Yeah. And she said afterwards, like, I called her, I'm like, I am so sorry. Like, there's no excuse I could possibly make. It was all on my head. And I accepted that and, and took the blame for that. But like, she was very magnanimous in her victory over me and in, in my chiding. So, uh, yeah. So was, did you, uh, did you have to watch the Vikings loss today or did you get to watch the Green Bay loss? No, I got to watch the Green Bay loss. So that was part of my punishment is that the Packers <laughs> blew a great lead. So, and she just sat there watching you. I mean, yep. Yeah. It's all because of you. No, but then she, she called her mom and then they laughed at my expense. And like, so <laughs> I'm sure there's a, there's a text chain going around with her friends too, but it's, it's well-deserved. Absolutely nothing I can ever say to possibly redeem myself on this one. So and it sounds like this yeah. is the kind of thing that is not going to be over today. Like you're going to be no. hearing about this for a while. Well, one of the great things about my wife is she has the greatest memory in all of mankind. So yes, it is something I've, I'll tell you what, I once won an argument and I've never forgotten that I once won an argument, but this blows that argument out of the water. Like I won because like we were disagreeing on paint color for an accent wall and my choice was better. And she finally acknowledged that. But me leaving the car so empty, she has to go walk to the gas station, kind of wipes out that. So any future wins I have are already negated by this one. So yeah, yeah, that's a gift that keeps on giving. Right yeah, no, I'm gonna be, yeah, I'm going to be paying, paying this debt off for years. And I'm trying to put myself in your shoes there, like, because there were four or five things that went wrong, you know, that didn't go your way there to kind of pile on. Yeah. You know, the fact that you slept, you know, she's told you a hundred times, the fact that you slept in, the fact that all of that amount of time went by mm. before you finally called her back. Yeah. Are you, are, you just, are you just piling on at this point, Cameron? I mean. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to say <laughs> what, what else could have gone wrong there? Could it have been worse? And I'm thinking that, you know, if I were in your position, Jake, would I, have just waited till she came back and not picked up the phone. I think that could have made it worse. I think oh, yeah. that was oh. one thing that you that you did is you you just well you yeah said, lucky hey, me. I'm Good. sorry. <laughs> well, I'm I'm trying to find a, a silver lining here. No, I mean you're probably right. That probably is the very small microscopic silver lining. So <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, that was my story from the dad front for this week. Uh, you know, I bought, we bought a house this week, but that's like a side note after my screw up this Sunday. So anyway, good. but otherwise it was a great weekend. Good weekend. Kids had a good time. We all had a nice relaxing weekend. Um, good week overall. How about you guys? Um, yeah, nothing. Um, nothing special just played in the the kids played in the street and i washed the car um rode around their bikes with the neighborhood kids it's pretty pretty simple um one my kids are simple so entertaining them is is not very hard um we take a morning walk and it pretty much blew their mind that instead of the our neighborhood we went across the street to the other neighborhood and their park was just amazing. And they just raved about it all day. So 
that was definitely a dad win. Nice. Eric, what you got? I mean, I was, I was resting a lot of this weekend. Uh, we've got this next week off. So it was, it was kind of a weird week. Um, I spent a lot of time just sitting on the couch and I felt weird about that, but. Um, <clears throat> but it just got you ready for this whole week of you sitting on the couch. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I had to prepare, so it's like, but it's like training camp. Yeah. I've got, um, you know, I had the kids battling, you know, the two older ones want to play, want to do certain things that, that don't really include the younger one. And that's, that's tough for him. But, um, you know, then we turn on, you know, they'll watch something like they really enjoy the trolls movie. Right. So you turn on the music and they all just start bust out dancing. And the young one wants to sit there. I guess there's a character that has a, a beanie pulled down like over his eyes. And then he drums and hits his head on the drum. So he grabbed all these pillows and he got two things for drumsticks. We started playing the song and he pulls the beanie down right here and he just starts drumming and then he'll stop and he'll hit his head on the middle pillow and then he'll keep drumming. And it's just hilarious. And then he gets mad at the other two because they don't, they finish the game. They're done playing. And he'll say, uh, brother and sissy won't let me rock out. And I'm like, no, they're not, they're not stopping you. What you mean is they're not rocking out with you. And so he's trying to coax them into like playing air guitar and all this kind of stuff. So it was pretty cute. Uh, but again, I think my two oldest are nine and seven and, and the youngest is three. And so there's that, that kind of gap uh, where he's not ready to do the things that they really want to do. And it's a little bit frustrating sometimes, but sure. You know, so really he just needs to go solo, break the band up and start yeah. his own career. Yeah. Yeah. I think a solo drummer would be the way to go. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> there's not enough. It sounds like he's got skills. I yeah, mean, there's he's not a enough real solo drummers out there. It's all rhythm. That's all that matters. I, th I think he could do it. But then we were also like Christmas shopping and, and uh, trying to, you know, via Amazon, just trying to figure out what is it that, that we're going to do for Christmas type stuff. And, you know, that's a, that's a whole other thing, right? It's just trying to get things that you know are going to be worthwhile and valued, um, but also not, not to the point that they spoil anyone. So I, I, I think that's tricky. Um, trying to find that sweet spot with gifts for kids. Yeah, for sure. Cause we struggle to, with that every year, man. To buy a, a bunch of stuff. And my issue there is we buy a ton of, of little gifts, uh, but then half of them are gone by the end of the week or they're not, they're no longer interested. Or we spend a large chunk on one big gift um, gambling that it's, it's going to be something they really appreciate and really spend a lot of time with. And it, it's tricky. Cause it's like, do you get something that's, that's a, that's durable item um, that they can play with over and over and over and over and over or, or do something with, or do you get something that's, um, Oh, I guess what's, what's the other, um, you know, a consumable thing. And I, and I feel like I want to lean towards consumable things. Like here's a thing you get to do it. You get to experience it, enjoy it. And then after that, it's gone. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Yes. Yes. 
because every year after yes! Christmas, you, I just that's say, it. That's exactly it. So much stuff. Yeah. And I just have to get, I, I can't wait to get rid of it. And we've been doing experience things more and more in the last yeah. couple of years because, oh, we're desperate. I'm desperate to just clear this house out. Yeah. percent of, you know, there's a stat out there that I'm making up right now that 50% of stuff in your house could be thrown away and you'd never miss it ever. Exactly. I love, I love the made up stats because those are the ones that suit my lifestyle the best. So I'm according to I mean, camera. my sources here say it's 54%. So you're close. Yeah. <laughs> Beg your pardon. But those, yeah, those are clearly the best kind of stats for sure. Yeah. I'm a so, treasure trope of those kind. Speaking of gifts, one of my coworkers got me a gift. Mm. Um, he had t- uh, texted me a few weeks ago. He says, what do you think of these? I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then uh, he were at, at school the other day and he shows up and he tosses this to me. And I'm like, you got this? I'm like, that's cool. So then I wore it to school the next day. It's a, it's a general patent hoodie. You know, it's got like a yeah. third army and his service stripes and all his medals. So I wore that to school the next day. Um, and as you may know, I do have, it's a, I believe it's Korean war era, but it's the same style helmet that they wore during World War II. So I wore some khaki pants, this, and I threw that helmet on. Kids didn't know what to think. It was great. It was absolutely fantastic. You know, I think the whole, the U.S. Army should go to the hoodie style fatigue. Why not? Standard. It's far more comfortable. And that pocket in the front, I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, usually they have to wear like a whole bunch of extra stuff for those pockets. Yeah. They're built in. (laughs) (laughs) If you, you know, it's funny, those hoodies, I've seen those before. I've seen the patent one and they have all sorts of different ones. Like they have um, Washington, Hamilton, Washington, but then they have like middle ages, like it looks like a suit of Templar. Yeah. Those are uh, really interesting. My wife wanted to get Queen Elizabeth. Oh, definitely. That's the one I was really pining for, but she said no. I I did because I was looking, I was searching for it. I saw an article uh, that they were kind of uh, gave the company that came up with that originally like a scathing review because they also had like, you know, Andrew Jackson, who has a iffy record on, on some human rights. Um, uh, who else did they have? Um, Herman, Herman Goring, you know, oh, one of the Nazis. The I'm like, yeah, I probably wouldn't get that hoodie. Um, <laughs> you know, even if you take the swastikas off of it, it's still like, do you really want to wear his? I, and, but then there's a question of how long do you let go by before you can wear the historical hoodie of somebody who is responsible for the deaths of hundreds or thousands of people. I don't know what well, the, I don't know what the time I mean, we're allowed to give is. Any general, under on that. Pretty much any general is going to fall into that camp, Patton. I mean, but we're okay with Patton because he won. So, right. Well, I, yeah, but, but I don't, I don't think Patton, <laughs> I don't think yeah. uh, Patton like wholesale slaughtered villages of Germans. 
No, but your first stipulation was responsible for the deaths of hundreds or thousands of people. So Patton would definitely fall into that camp. Oh, I, I, I tell the Hun, I another one of our bar fight Innocent. fives. If we had a, if we had an Attila the Hun hoodie, is that appropriate? Well, again, like, are, are we are we far enough removed where we can be, like, yeah, I'm dressed as Attila, or I, a is that cultural appropriation for whoever is still a Hun, and B, are we far enough removed that it's okay to wear mm-hmm. a hoodie from Attila the Hun's days or Genghis Khan's days? Sure. Probably not I, I think it's Goring proportional or... to the, the number of deaths that you're responsible for. So Genghis Khan, there's got to be more time that goes by than a, yeah. you know, Attila the Hunt. That's a fair... Yeah, maybe there's a sliding scale like Cameron's yeah. saying. So I sent so that... Pat, I sent so that, Pat that graphic I, I, to I think you. we're good. <clears throat> I don't care if... No, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, Patton, we're good. I'm just going to say that. Like, I'm not going to give it some qualifications. Like, I don't think he... Anyways, uh-huh. <clears throat> I sent that graphic to you of, like, events in history and the number of deaths caused. Did I ever send that to you? I don't think so. Or I, I don't have it. I think I did. You probably ignored it. Um, and, and like, the most horrific, like... Jeez, that was condescending. <laughs> I just ignore my stuff all the time. Uh <laughs> Because I, I, I think I had like 10 or 15 texts and they didn't get responded to. I, I assume people just see it and they're like, I get oh, that. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm okay. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Is that going to be hey. next episode where, where Eric whines at us? Yeah. I'm Are we going to do Festivus right and, and the airing of grievances? <laughs> and another thing. <laughs> I, I find that to be a, a recurring uh phrase we're getting here uh anyways so i I do think yeah the sliding scale but i i I don't i don't know okay i mean i guess i i guess the real test is if you wear it out in public and people shame you then you probably it's probably not we're not ready yet yeah i I don't think i don't think i'm wearing a patent i don't think i'm gonna wear one of these type of hoodies out and about because it's just (laughs) kind of odd i so you're just kidding. Yeah. But in a classroom true. full of, you know, nerd. No, it'll yeah. be just, I think it'll just be for school. And I want to be that teacher. Like, I think I'm, I can go with a George Washington one and get a, a powdered wig and a tricorn hat. I think that'd look good. Look no, okay. I, I think you already are that teacher, Eric. Yeah, I, but I don't have all of these yet. That teacher, you're already there. He needs, I just what he's telling us is he's telling us what he wants for Christmas. He's giving us his Christmas list. There right it is, folks. <laughs> uh put that in the comments below after you like and subscribe that's what i really want for christmas those likes and subscribes uh, you're only gonna get war criminal sweater sweatshirts you're only gonna get the worst of the worst and only only wear those at home eric the pole pot hoodie i mean it's just gonna be all the worst of the worst so there you go you'd think the stalin one would come with a mustache Oh, it would almost have to. And uh, and on the American side, one would hope the Teddy one came with a mustache and spectacles. Yeah, oh, so that the Teddy one, uh, if I get the Rough Rider hat. So I have, yeah, I, I do have a few of these that I'm like, if I get this, I have to get this accessory. Otherwise, it kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah. And like George Washington, need the powdered wig and the tricorn hat. I don't think I need much for the Hamilton one, except for just like a wig to pull back. Money. 
and money. Uh, yeah. Teddy Roosevelt need the need the the Rough Rider hat and a mustache. Why do you need to get a mustache? Why can't you just have a mustache? Excellent question. Just, just throwing, just curious. <laughs> <laughs> too soon, man. Too soon. Uh, I just the people want to know. So uh, thirty nine. Okay, you know. Okay, I shaved today. Had I not, um, or yesterday, you might have seen a little shade here. Okay. Oh, you know what I did? Here's something I did last week. Um, have you ever been to a barber? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I went to a barber. Oh, no. I have not. Tell me. Tell about me about this barber. I don't know. It was it. Uh, it's here in town. It was referred to me. And it was the first time I've gone to a like a legit barber, right? I've gone to like great clips and uh, you know, over the past seven months, my wife has kind of taken care of my hair. But I said, I, I want to try a barber out because I really need to get cleaned up. And she said, Go for it. Um I think I went illegally because of the governor's orders here in California. After 10, 10 o'clock or what? No, because they had closed they were supposed to have closed all these places. But I think different counties, sheriffs and police are just like, we're not enforcing half this stuff. We're just not. Um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, like it was, you know, trimmed everything up with the straight blade and the straight razor on all the edges. Like, I don't know, I walked out of there feeling like that was worth it. Mm. It was Felt like a dapper man. I did feel dapper. Yeah. So that was nice. That's a that's a good thing that we all need to break into is just that barber type lifestyle. You know, you you get classy dad points immediately by making a habit of that. You know, your your cigar, whiskey, and all of those things just rolled into one. Your wife mm -hmm. starts to, you know, get on board with that a little bit more. I, I could see you pushing that, really pulling that off over the over the time. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, I liked it. I went, a couple of years ago, I went to the barber a few times and it was awesome. I mean, the haircuts were great, but it's like, man, this is expensive. Like for something that I can do at home, not as well, but something that I can do at home. But it is a nice experience. Like it's a treat to go to a barber and have them do your hair and, you know, give you a shave. My uncle Mike told me he would do that. He'd go to the barber once a week and get his he would get a like the old-fashioned shave with the leather strap and the straight razor and he said it was one of the most relaxing experiences that he would have you know it was like his way to decompress let me ask you was the conversation was it you know, sports related was it typical barbershop conversation or what how did that go was the guy kind of quiet just did his thing mine yeah yeah, I, it was it was quiet. So I gone on a recommendation. I didn't know what I was getting into. I made an appointment. So it was a little bit more expensive. I walked in and they're like, do you have an appointment? I'm like, I do. I don't know who it's with because it kind of set me up. And the guys, one of the guys like, are you Eric? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, you're with me next. Here, take this buzzer. You got to go outside. And <clears throat> um, it was a it was very Spanish themed, I think, Mexican themed. Um, 
barbershop, especially with the art all on the inside. It was very nice. And I guess they're going to do a remodel to kind of like make sure everything's open enough and enough space for all the, all of the, uh, you know, just all the COVID regulations. Um, <clears throat> but they had some TVs on and, and he kind of chatted with me a little bit. I had the mask on and he's getting around the edges. I said, do you want me to take the mask off? He says, yeah, you can do that. He says, I, I don't want to tell people to take it off because some people get offended. I'm like, I'm not going to get offended. I want to, I'm okay with breathing. And uh, we chatted a little bit. Um, not a lot. He wasn't a talker. Um, but there was kind of that relaxed vibe in there. You know, all the barbers kind of chatting back and forth and some of the people talking, some not. Um, but I, you know, I was done. I looked at it. I'm like, yeah, this is great. And uh, told him I'd be back because it was nice. So. Interesting. Yeah, I ought to try that sometime. Yeah. Next time we're all in town together, let's all go to the barber. Yeah. Yes. Sounds like a great stud party idea. Yes. What you guys do? Got a nice shave and a haircut. (laughs) I just got a haircut. Okay, just Eric got it. Yeah. Eric saved seven bucks. No, I could let it I could I could let it grow out if I knew it was happening, let it grow out enough to where I could be like, yeah, you can could. You go ahead and shave it. They're like, we're not gonna charge you extra for that. I'm like, can you just please take my money and shave my face? Charge me. I want to be part of the experience. It's like, okay. I'm I love like, Did it. you even use a razor? No, I just put I just wiped the cream off your face. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right well with that do you want to get into the actual topic or you just want to sure. keep rolling yeah let's get oh. into this um okay so i have this kind of this question in my head um that's kind of been going we we talked about the pandemic back in july we said that feels like forever ago and we talked about pandemic to progress in terms of you know, when these pandemics happen, there's shifts in society that, that we make progress in. And so there's been a number of things I've been reading. What's interesting is we are, we're very stuck in this country right now um, in all this election nonsense. And it looks like tonight um, that, uh, that Powell, Sidney Powell, like her whole thing is just the wheels are coming off, whatever the Kraken was, whatever any of this conspiracy was looks like it's going up in smoke real fast even trump is is like distancing himself from her um and her legal team and saying okay she doesn't work for our organization campaign but we're stuck looking at that when when we do have some problems coming up a lot of these uh these cares act um benefits are are expiring at the end of next month, the end of December. Mm-hmm. And there doesn't seem to be a big, much of a plan to fix anything or to change anything. But uh, tied in with all of that is, is some of the stuff that's been coming out of like the World Economic Forum. Um, and I was reading something today about the guarantee, you know, should jobs be guaranteed? Um, things like the second bill of rights, which is something that came from FDR, you know, which included like, um, actually, let me um, go find it because I had it here. 
So there's something that <clears throat> was posted by Kyle Kalinske, um, and it had FDR, Second Bill of Rights, every American has the right to a job, an adequate wage and decent living, decent home, medical care, economic protection during sickness, accident, old age, or unemployment, and a good education. And, um, and then we have this thing coming out of the World Economic Forum, which is basically called the Great Reset. Um, basically seeing that if maybe we're to a point in human history where we need to have another big shift in how things get done. And to the point where, hey, maybe you don't need to own anything and you can still be happy. Um, maybe some of the rights that were guaranteed in the United States are not necessary um, in order for us to be happy and fulfilled and all these things. So I guess my question is, how do you feel about something like that? Because that kind of goes beyond making progress through a pandemic and goes into um, designing a new system that's, that's built to withstand something like a pandemic. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, My first I, question, I, and, and I've never heard of this second bill of rights. I literally Googled it as you were talking about it. And, and my first question is, who's going to provide all of these things? You know, when you talk about employment guaranteed, farmers' rights for a fair income, um, freedom from monopolies, housing, medical care, social security, who's going to provide that? The government? Yeah, Which is really well known for providing social services now i i that just doesn't smell right yeah and so i i did challenge this mostly on the fact that um i i saw it and i said hey you can pursue these rights like nobody is preventing you from getting these things i don't think anyone should should be prevented from getting these things uh and but you know these the, the people there challenged me And they challenged me really well. Some people challenged me really well. And and I've had to kind of like, you know, pivot a little bit. And the discussions have basically been, um, you know, point for point, kind of taking jabs and and adjusting. But none of it or any of the stuff that's been disrespectful in any way, um, I just ignored. Because there are some people who had some really good points and questions. And I kind of wanted to, to work with those. But yeah, it would be government that provides all those things. <clears throat> and apart from the efficiency and competency of government, um, there comes a question of modern monetary theory, which is something that I, I don't know if I fully grasp, but it basically comes down to the government can never run out of money because they print it. And why is that a good Ramsey thing? is not a fan of that, I'm sure. But right, I, why why is is that being pushed, or why is that why do people um, like that? I, that's a real question. I, well, I don't know if it's a. I mean, I'm sure there are people that like it, but it is 
does it sure does seem to be the situation we find ourselves in is that basically the Fed can just continue to give unlimited loans to the United States government and then they can continue to spend that however they want and there's no there is nothing backing our currency there is no gold in Fort Knox that we can tie to our dollar so you know, and, and the same thing that happened with Greece um, several years ago when they were debating Brexit. And a big part of it was the IMF was saying, well, can we just give them a loan? And then they have to do austerity measures. But they were basically, in a sense, creating money out of nothing to give to Greece so that they remain solvent. So in a sense, I, I mean, that seems to be the way our world economy is trending is it's all fiat currency. There is no hard currency tying the dollar to anything other than the government says it's worth a dollar. Whether that's good or bad is a different question, but. How long has it been since that's been the case? You know? We did, I, I think we went off the gold standard in the early 1900s or, or did we go off the silver standard? Eric, do you remember? I think we went off the gold standard in the early 1900s and we went off the silver standard like in the Nixon administration. I, I so we haven't, had a, we haven't had a hard currency, like a, a metal, a, a valuable metal tied to our that. currency since at least the 60s. Huh. And so if I understand it correctly, um, because someone posted the question, because I, I mentioned taxes, I said, you know, you're going to give something to somebody else. When you say something's a right, there's two kinds of rights. There's negative rights and positive rights. And negative rights basically say, uh, you can't prevent me from engaging the, in this thing. I have this right and you can't stop me. That's a negative right. A positive right, um, or, or so, yeah, so a negative right means I get to do this thing and uh, you're not allowed to, to prevent me from doing that thing. And so that's what most of the rights uh, detailed in, in kind of the Declaration of Independence Constitution Bill of Rights it are. It's like, you get to speak. Nobody gets to stop you from speaking. Um, you get to bear arms. Nobody gets to infringe upon that. There's some rights in there that, that provide provision from others. Um, so that's what a positive right is, is you have a right to this thing and usually when they say that, so you have a right to healthcare, what they mean is you have a right to be, you have a right to it, not only to get it, because right now we have a right to go buy healthcare as much as we want and, and buy those services, but you have a right to it in that you get to have that thing and it will be provided from you. Now that requires that that's provided by others, right? Through the government. And so in, in my kind of exploration of the topic with uh, some of these people on Twitter, again, a lot of them were very respectful um, and brought up a lot of good points is that our taxes aren't actually funding these things. Our taxes don't fund at the federal level any of these things. Our taxes fund the debt. They basically say they uphold the debt. Regardless of how big the debt is, the, the taxes we pay simply guarantee that the debt can be paid. And that's, that's kind of my understanding of modern monetary theory is that we can't stop paying the taxes because we, have to, we do have to say this is backed, the dollar is backed by the, the taxes that everyone pays every year. Um, and I probably miffed that up a bit. Um, 
but that's a positive right. Meaning, so we're going to provide healthcare to everybody, but that has to be paid for through the debt um, that's guaranteed by our taxes. So it, it comes from somebody else. Um, a positive right would also be, you know, the negative right is you have the right to bear arms. The positive right is we're also going to provide you a gun, which, hey, I'm, I'm totally fine with, by the way. Um, but that has to be, somebody has to make that gun. Somebody has to pay for that gun and the ammunition. And so I was trying to say the second bill of rights is really, um, those are all positive rights, which require other people to pitch in and, and, and pay for. And that's where I run into an issue because once you start requiring people to provide something else to someone else, they're, you're removing their negative rights. Um, how so? In what way? What, what, how so? Well, you said in order to guarantee the positive rights, right? Getting people to pay for that, you're removing people's negative rights. So my question is, how so? Well, so it's kind of like a, I guess it'd be a slow, slow creep. Um, I, we already pay taxes, right? So that's, that is what it is. I, I know there's a ton of gray area here too. I guess the how so would be that if the government is going to pay for everyone's health care, a couple mm -hmm. things are going to happen you're going to remove the right of doctors to operate, especially if you're going to single payer, payer to, for doctors to operate um, in the market they choose, right? If a doctor says, I don't want to participate in the market that only pays this much for my, my services, I want to make this mm -hmm. much, um, that right has been removed from them because with medical care being provided single payer by the government, the government sets the prices. And by setting the prices, they're, they're removing all of healthcare from a free market, which we'd say, hey, it's your right to operate in the market you choose. So that'd be one example, if I explained that correctly or sufficiently. Okay. It's interesting because I, th I think you're bringing up when when you look at the second bill of rights, for example, so those positive rights, as they say, um, and I, as you were talking, I looked up Mas Maslow's hierarchy yeah. of needs. And basically the second bill of rights covers your physiological and safety needs. So your physiological food, water, warmth, rest, security, and safety, right? Right. And then everything beyond that intimate relationships, friends, prestige, um, self-actualization, those are all things beyond the first two tiers um, of Mas Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So people that are for that are basically saying, well, let's cover the basics at some basic level. So let's guarantee people have food on the table or um, a roof over their head, right? And then beyond that, I guess it'd be, you could pursue a nicer home. You know, me and my wife, we just bought a, a home for our move. Um, or you can get different kinds of food or food beyond what the government would provide or the social net, however you want to describe it, would provide. 
Am I kind of at least paralleling those? Yeah, you know, and, and, and I've come to that semi-conclusion before in that in weighing the, the benefits of, of freedom, I guess, and like, how can somebody be the most free? Mm-hmm. And I look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and I say, in order for somebody to be completely, you know, I, I see it and I think, I, I kind of get the idea that if, if, if we can provide some of those things and guarantee that those things can, see, there's a difference between guarantee those things can be provided and guarantee that they can be available, right? Um, then people can reach higher levels of freedom. Like you can't really, you know, if you're going to be completely free, then, then you are solely responsible for those bottom levels. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, and I get that. I think some people are, I think there's a lot of people that are fully capable of providing all those things for themselves. Um, but there's a point at which I feel like it, it does break down and say, if we can provide those things, can people be more free? We run into the issue or where I start running into it in my head is, let's say we provide those things. <clears throat> now people are able to, and I don't have the hierarchy of needs, but you get to those top tiers where it's like self, uh, self-actualization. Actualization. Right? And, and yeah. self-expression. It's like, okay, but what happens when self-expression, which I think most Americans are fully capable of, there's very, there, there's, yeah, there's quite a few Americans who are in a situation where they can't even reach that level because, you know, they are in, in a certain level of poverty or at least perceived poverty um, where they are going hungry. I get that. That happens. And, and we can address that. Um, where in my self-actualization, I start to express myself and I see that maybe, um, maybe the, the system that the government has set up to provide all these things is corrupt and I want to call it out, where my ability to do that might be for the benefit of society reined in. Mm-hmm. So do you kind of understand what like, as people reach that higher level, they might start to criticize how that bottom level is provided. And then, then we say, well, you can't get there anymore. You can't get to the top level anymore. That's too that's problematic for our larger system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see the conflict there. And so, but, I, I, yeah, there, there's, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I can see the conflict there, but I think when we look at specifically things like education um, and healthcare, uh, and I see those more in a light of is the current system working? And if we replaced it with this system, would it be better, worse, or the same? And I think in some cases, especially when it comes to higher education, um, so specifically post high school, um, and the system that we have is technically working. Um, However, it's wildly expensive. And I know we discussed this on a previous episode, Eric, the way it's funded right now. Are you you talking education? Yes, funded education, where it's funded through state and local taxes, right, to state universities. But then it's also funded through government-backed loans 
and or tuition that you pay out of pocket. And so it's you, if you're gonna pay state taxes to have these public universities, that's fine. But then I don't wanna also have to pay for it again when I actually send my kid to college via loan or straight up paying tuition out of pocket. Mm -hmm. And so a system like much many of the countries in Europe that they have where state universities are essentially free to go to as far as tuition goes um, because they decided this is something we're going to pay for through our taxes and we're going to fund it fully. Now you can still go to private universities and pay tuition to go to those private universities um, that are there, but the state colleges and like in England, um, there is no tuition or it's very, very, very low. Um, whereas the system we have, essentially I'm paying twice to go to college. And I think yeah. that's an unfair system. And so I would say either stop funding schools through taxes or stop or make sure they're funded enough that we also don't have to pay 10, 15, $20,000 a year in tuition. Because right now I think we kind of the worst of both worlds. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, you're, you're, well, it's not even just, yes, you're, you're double dipping, but you're kind of triple dipping because in many cases, uh, you're not going to pay tuition. You're going to get a student loan and you aren't going to understand exactly how much you're spending for money that really has never gone into your hands. You've never held it before it gets paid. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a year after you graduate, they're like, oh, here's how much you owe. Here's the interest. And here's how much it'll be a month um, for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> not to mention if, if your degree was not valuable, uh, you know, you're kind of stuck. So you're paying, you're paying, I, I'd say you're paying kind of triple. Um, yeah. But when it comes to something like healthcare, and I kind of made this point in one of the discussions, I think, was that, uh, listen, we, we have a very mixed system. There's a massive amount of government intervention. The government's paying a ton of money into our healthcare system as it is. And you have insurance companies and you have mandates, you had mandates at least, where you had to buy health insurance and all the premiums went up because they had to cover this. And so you've got this kind of mishmash of what the insurance companies wanted in, in the Affordable Care Act, what the government wanted in it, what people didn't want in it. And it was just kind of rammed through and now we have it and we're stuck with it. And of course it's more expensive for everyone. So would a single payer system that was streamlined be, ben be uh, more, would, would I find it more beneficial than what we have right now? Maybe. Because my premiums only ever go up. <laughs> my my yeah. coverage only ever gets stricter. And I know that if we had an absolutely free market, there would be some abuse there. But and if I could buy a, a plan that was out of some other state that covered me better, if I had like a full option, you know, here's a hundred different plans, pick the one that you can afford and that works for you. I mean, thankfully my employer, we get, we get two options. 
for our coverage. <clears throat> and there are two different kinds of options and there's benefits to both and there's different costs to both. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky. Um, and more options is not always better, but it does tend to drive down the price. Mm -hmm. I had a really good uh, conversation um, a little while ago with a good friend, you know, and not necessarily specifically about second bill of rights or, or anything like that, but more just how people view the world. And, you know, as, as we're having this conversation, it just, what, what I keep thinking is about opportunity cost and about, you know, if we give this up, be it a right or a positive right or a negative right, um, what does that cost on the back end? Now you can you can talk about that. With, you know, your time. If I'm going to work out, I'm losing the opportunity to sit and watch the ball game that I want to watch. Um, and if I sit down and watch the the ball game, I'm losing out on the opportunity to work out on on some of these things that you know. If if the government were to um, if we go to a single payer system or if the government would would take that over in some case to make a minimum standard of living, what are we giving up for to do that? I think that's a, a big part of this conversation is how far are we willing to go until we draw the line. Obviously that number is different or there, that distance is different for everybody. Um, but when we start talking about socialized medicine or single payer system or whatever, okay, then that begs the question, what are we gonna do with housing? What are we gonna do with education? Because I think all of those things are, are kind of looped in together and it's very dangerous to go down that road without addressing all them. You know, you, if, if you do one at a time, well, this one. And that line is going to keep creeping um, toward government control. Mm -hmm. So I, I just, I think it starts with a question of who's responsible for providing these things. And, and if the answer to that question is government, um, then things are going to really change in this country, given, you know, the, the, second bill of rights um but if that goes back to individuals then I, I would say that that's what was meant how it was meant to be you know when this country was founded and the way that things operate right now um you know our country's not perfect obviously but that second bill of rights is pretty pretty drastic to me as I'm reading through these and as we're just having these conversations, I think it's a very slow. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. And uh, I think it's interesting, right? Because when we talk about capitalism, you know, and capitalism revolutionized the middle ages and it revolutionized the standard of living for all of Europe. Um, after the Black Death, and that's where capitalism really took off, um, because people now had capital, they had money, and they could go buy the finer things in life, and not, it wasn't just a, a rich man's game anymore. Um, 
And so when, when people talk about, rightly so, that capitalism has created more wealth throughout the world and has brought more people out of poverty than anything else, I think that's true. But I also think at the same time, the economic system that we have in America is not capitalistic anymore. It's corporate, you know, it's a corporatism. And I know it's something, Eric, that you've brought up a couple of times. And it's not something that benefits the people in the way that it used to, um, you know, during this pandemic, Jeff Bezos made like another trillion dollars. Amazon made another trillion dollars during a pandemic and it doesn't actually help. I mean, I guess it helps him and it helps the people that work at Amazon, but it doesn't like help America at large. And so corporations have now found a way to monopolize the engine of capitalism to benefit themselves without necessarily benefiting the citizens of the country at large. And so I think the appeal of something like this is that it's basically takes that money out of the corporate's hands and in a sense tries to redistribute it. I mean, that's what it is. It's redistributing that wealth to people. Now, whether or not that's better than the system we have, I don't know, but I can see the appeal because people, right, when people are lobbying for this, they're saying, well, look at all the corporations and how much money they have and, you know, all their super yachts and all that stuff. And, and I think that's the, the appeal. But again, that doesn't mean this is a better system. This uh, second bill of rights would be better, but it is calling out a glaring imbalance, I think, in our country as it sits right now. You know, and so maybe that's the point I'm trying to make is that yeah, while it might not be right, it is pointing to something that's wrong with how we function right now. Yeah, and I guess there's more than one way to go about it. You know, redistribution sure. of wealth is, is one way. And then, you know, going, making a move back toward pure because, you know, it's almost impossible to have it pure. And I don't think I'm a, a fan of absolute capitalism. Um, but yeah, you know, you can, you can go really two ways with that. And I don't think that can build a right way is the right way to do it. Sure. Well, and, and before FDR, Teddy Roosevelt had the square deal, right? So before the new deal is the square deal and the square deal is basically making people and specifically corporations play fairly. Um, and so it wasn't a matter of, we guarantee healthcare, we guarantee these things, but we make sure that you aren't engaging in monopolies and you aren't, you know, that's when a lot of the first labor laws came into, you know, protecting the, the worker, um, so, to, so to speak. Um, you know, and so you can, I think you can move towards where people like have the opportunity to buy health insurance without um, going the socialized route. Yeah. I, I just think that you two are more responsible with me and your <laughs> opinions because I have, you know, I'm, I'm super opinionated and I want to say, no, this is wrong and beat my, my fist on the table. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it is a, a conversation worth having um, because again, you know, it's, it's where do you want to draw that line in the sand? Do you want to draw it, you know, 
giving up a little bit more right of the average citizen so that the government can can take control. And again, that's a that's a more it's a very simplistic look at it. Or do you want to, to your point, Jake, to to kind of make it a square deal situation so that corporations can't cheat and monopoly. Well, and and here's a good example of that, Cameron and, and Eric, is in the 40s, the reason we have the health insurance system we have today is because in the 40s, Franklin Roosevelt put a wage freeze during the, during the war because he didn't want a bunch of inflation during the war effort because to make sure he could afford things. So he said, you can't pay workers more than this. And so the company said, well, we can get around this by offering them health insurance as a benefit and right. so the reason, so the way they entice people to work for companies is say, well, we'll give you health insurance if you come work for us. So technically it wasn't a wage increase, but it was a wage increase. And so the reason we have government or is uh, employer provided health insurance is because the government tried to control wages. And that led to this weird janky system we have today. Whereas if they didn't do that, Yes, there was a risk of inflation, but then workers would have just been compensated more. And so they would have been allowed to purchase their own insurance through whatever systems were available at the time. And so it would have been a more capitalistic system for healthcare. But see where that broke down, Jake, was government intervention. That's no, that's that what I'm saying. Step one. That was the first domino of all of that happening is it, the go government overstepped their bounds. And now look, everything you know, they caused the oh. pandemic. There you go, back in the 40s. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But it, it, that's a series of pandemics in, since then. Yeah, but that's what that's the point I'm making is that, and, and I'm, you, you picked right up on it, is that because FDR exerted control over wages, it led to all these unintended consequences we have now. Now, there is an argument to be made that if he didn't do that, we may have adopted a socialized medicine system in the 40s or 50s, like most European countries did after the war. But we might not have, as you know. But um, either way, it wouldn't have set up this weird hybrid government, corporate, capitalist health insurance system we have now. That's neither. It's not truly capitalist. It's not truly socialist. It's some mishmash of both. That I don't know if either serves us super well because i would much rather have my my boss you know not have to provide my health insurance and give me a big old raise yeah um in lieu of that i mean if the if the option was i can go purchase my own health care and i get a big raise i would that that would be awesome to me right but so let me know, ask this because there's a there is, I, I, again, I don't think we're going to get all, to all those things. And we haven't really even talked about, it. I guess the great reset part of this whole thing is, you know, just again, shifting our economics and society um, to better reflect kind of where humanity is at right now. Although I would argue humanity is the same today as we were yesterday and 2000 years ago. I mean, exactly. human, nature is human nature. And I think the profit motive is important uh, at an individual level, I think it gets dangerous, just like everything else, um, when you get to the corporate level, because the profit motive, uh, when you get to a, a board of directors, 
and they say, well, we're responsible to shareholders. And so we have to make the decision that, that brings us profit, even if it's a, an unethical or immoral one. And I think most businesses don't purposefully, most corporations don't purposefully make a decision that's unethical or immoral, but I think they can easily slide into it when you're voting, when you have 50 board members voting, uh, we're going to, we're going to move in this direction because that's what gets us the profit. And none of them are thinking this is immoral or unethical. They're saying this is kind of how things have to be. Right. So uh, I've had people tell me that corporations are immoral and I'd say, no, they're amoral, which has its own problems because if it's amoral, then it, then it cannot rest on a moral system and say, um, by making this decision, we're doing something that's wrong. Uh, what they can rest on is based on the bylaws and what we're supposed to do to bring profit. We have to make a decision that's going to hurt a lot of people, but it's, we're serving the, the, the stockholders. Right. So, um, and I'm not sure where that train of thought was going again, but, oh, here it is. You know, I get so, I get so far down the road that I forget where I'm headed. Um, you know, so again, that, that profit motive, I think it's helpful for people to engage in things that they want to do in order to do their very best. And they, they drive to get better so that they can gain more out of it. You want more value out of the work you put in, right? Like I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do a job that paid me less than the work was actually worth to me. Um, on the other hand, uh, when you get up to those levels, it can be corruptible, right? So the question of that first thing on FDR's list, which was um, a job, guaranteeing a job. And so I kind of, I read an article that somebody posted. They said, read this. I said, I would. And I, and I read a lot of it. A lot of it got into that uh, modern monetary theory and it, it kind of came to the point where it said, if the private sector cannot, cannot reduce unemployment to under 2%, then the government is fully capable of employing those unemployed people. And it, it came to the point where the government is already, and that is people who want to work but can't find a job. Uh, the government's already providing unemployment benefits to people. And if it can print its own money, it could do so. And so, again, I, I struggle with that. But then I look at it and say, well, is, is there a way to do that that um, has a return on investment, right? And so someone tweeted back to me, and I haven't got back to it, where they said, you know, the fiscal responsibility here is that if the government's going to put money into jobs, those jobs have to then have a return on investment that make it worth it. And so that comes to things like infrastructure. So how would you feel if the government spent, throw a number out there on infrastructure and then was then giving jobs to people who were otherwise unemployed? Is there a benefit to that? Is that something that, that, Well, first of all, are these are these rhetorical questions? Because well, I mean, um, 
I, I, yeah, I'm what's, trying. What's the trick, Hoffman? Not, yeah, not everybody. <laughs> not every person wants a job. I, I think it's ridiculous that we could get unemployment down to two percent. I, I, I think that that number is possible to get that low as far as people that are um, capable and, and willing to work. Um, and, and the fact that it, it just, it, that only works on paper. I think it's high in the sky to say, oh, we could get that down to, to 2% because not everybody wants a job. Not everybody wants to contribute. They'd rather just have that money handed to them. Well, and, and, I, and I like what you said earlier, uh, Eric, too, is, you know, this modern, modern monetary theory kind of assumes that human nature has changed. And it, it really hasn't. We all need that feeling of worth. And we all need that feeling of, you know, being proud of what we've produced and, and you know, being incentivized to work. Well, I don't, I don't think it's modern monetary theory that that has seen human nature's change. I think that's kind of part of, um, I'd say kind of socialist and communist Marxist theory is that, you know, if you take the profit motive away, people will act well. And it's like, well, no, I don't think they will. I, I think human nature's, we, we have 6,000 years of literature on human nature. We, we have it pinned down pretty well. Um, but, you know, if the government said, listen, we're going to spend this much money and we're going to, we're going to, uh, I don't know, fill all the potholes in the interstate system. So we're going to employ people to do that. Who needs a job and who wants to do this? We'll pay it, pay this rather than paying you just unemployment benefits and saying, we're going to, you know, pay you because you're unemployed. Um, if you've come to get benefits or you've filed at the unemployment office, the government will give you some work and have you go do something. Um, my, my thinking is if the government's spending money anyways on your unemployment benefits, uh, God knows we have enough money to drop bombs on the desert of the Middle East. So why not spend it on infrastructure that could also provide jobs? And I don't say that to say I'm necessarily in favor of that. I'm just saying, why, why wouldn't why isn't this a better way of going about it? Well, I, I don't know. I think it would be interesting. And here's, you know, when we were talking about this a while ago, back in July, I guess, and, and you mentioned, oh, with the pandemic, when we talk about the national response to the pandemic versus the states responding to the pandemic, I think this would be a great opportunity for certain states to adopt this and just see how would it work, you know, because I know there's some communities in Europe that are experimenting, experimenting with uh, universal basic income mm -hmm. in small and seeing, does it work? Will people stop working? Like, you know, that I think this would be another one of those opportunities to do it. I do think it's interesting though, you know, although maybe being the government, you can just tell people whatever job, if you want the money, you're gonna do the job we give you, but I don't know if everyone will be able to go fill in potholes. I know certainly I would not want to do that in Phoenix in the summer, you know, but in Wisconsin in the winter, I didn't have it. Oh, definitely. Cause yeah. you know, the government, that's how they do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, go fill, go fill potholes in the Wisconsin winter. Okay. Can I shovel it first? No, no, we're going to pay you to fill the pothole, not shovel the snow. Um, That's a whole other department. They come in June. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But here's something that I've thought when it comes to uh, unemployment benefits, you know, I think a big part of the, the disconnect that people see is, well, you get right. If I get unemployment, I'm getting paid not to work. And then, and in some cases, people are getting paid more not to work than if they did have a job, which maybe tells you about wages in certain industries and stuff like that. But I think, well, what if instead of, well, once you get a job, the unemployment ends, what if once you get a job, the unemployment reduces so you can still get that supplement, but you're also still working. And if you get a raise, then it reduces a little bit more. And if you start making more money, then slowly the unemployment gets weaned down or I guess it would be employment assistance. It wouldn't be unemployment anymore. But it gets weaned down until eventually, you know, you're working and you're able to support yourself fully without need from the government. Like, to me, I feel like that's a better incentive than just paying people to do infrastructure. Unless the government's hiring construction companies, which I think is a great way to use government. You know, if they're actually hiring companies to say, go do this infrastructure work, then that's some, that's different as opposed to just paying unemployed Jake to go fill potholes in the middle of winter in Wisconsin. I think it's a terrible use of money and I would never want to be part of that. But does that make sense? The, the way I'm describing that, uh, that other. Yeah. As your, as your wages increase, the benefits the decrease until down. you get to a certain point. But, but I, I think one of the issues with universal basic income one of them, and and, it, and again, I, I've looked at it here and there, and I and I think as we approach this level where there's so much automation that I look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I think with all of this automation, we're actually beginning to we're we're beginning to as a whole, automation can start filling in those bottom tiers for an entire society. That's, that's literally what automation would do. So I wouldn't have to go work a factory job to put food on the table. Uh, the factory runs itself, except for a few people who take care of the factory. And I, there's, a, there's a great short story uh, just came to mind um, that's basically like that, where there's one guy on the, in the planet who basically makes sure the factory that does everything for everyone works right. He's the only one that works and everyone else just benefits, right? Everyone else just has what they need provided. But, you know, if you get to a part where society is um, automated so much that those, those needs are taken care of, right? Um, Where it costs nearly nothing to feed and clothe and house everyone. And also to have healthcare that's available to everyone, um, for, for a low price, right? Um, what is the work that people do then? And also, um, you know, I, so there's two parts there. What is the work that people do? Cause it's going to not going to be the work of making things that other people can use and find value. And it's going to be kind of higher levels of work. It's going to be writing and thinking and art. I mean, it, so it's, it's everyone basically, becomes a podcaster. 
isn't that happening already? Um, <laughs> look at you. They let just anybody do this. Um, yeah. <laughs> is that, you know, during the Middle Ages, most people were working on getting enough food to get through the day, right? And getting their basic physiological needs met. And that's what they spent their entire life doing. And only a few people even got past that, right? And so here's where maybe society is changing in that we might be able to fill that bottom level at such a low cost to everyone. Um, How far where, away do you think we are from that though, realistically? Because I mean, I, automation is picking up. We're clearly not there. No, we're not there yet. Uh, I, I don't have a, a time on it, but we're looking think, at automation. Uh, we're looking like there's always going to be ditch diggers. There's always going to be. Yeah, you know, for all the bodies. Those socialist pigs who are going to kill everyone. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, the grave diggers? No. Uh, I okay, it. first of all, I got two things to say. One, the whole pothole thing reminds me of Ron Swanson when he fills the pothole because the government can't do it. So. <laughs> That's the first thing. Just the fill your own potholes. Yeah, no, but I think Kara brings up a good point, you know, about the question about when do we get to that point? And I think um, farming, the, the farming in the 1780s in America and farming today are wildly different, right? Now, I think in the 1780s, it was like 70 or 80% of the people who lived in America were farmers. Right. And now, it's a total of like 2 million people. So less than 1% of the country farms. And yet those 2 million people produce enough food to feed every single person in the world. Like we could end hunger with the amount of food produced in America alone. So in that sense, we're not that far from removed from, not only can we produce enough food in America to feed the entire world, but we could produce it so, you know, with, with the way that um, people are using um, like hydroponics for crops and, and, and all these new technologies to grow crops like on, at, at a cheaper way and, and stuff like that. Um, we're not that far removed from a, a situation where not only can the food be provided to the world, but it could be provided, I don't know, free, but at an extremely low cost. Um, so can I jump in? Here yeah. and, and this is where I think like that sounds fantastic, right? Everyone gets fed. So then the farmers look around and see everybody else is eating for free. Mm -hmm. But I'm still working from 5 a.m. until 6 p.m. to provide food for hundreds or thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of people. Why should I keep doing this if I can just go live in the city and get food delivered to me? Well, eventually I don't think farmers will actually be farmers. They'll be farm managers. Like they won't- like, It'll be automated, Eventually right? the, the, the tractor will be able to drive itself, you know, sort mm -hmm. of thing. I, I um, think there are unintended consequences with that, you know, if, if you've ever seen, um, what's the name of that documentary that's just shocking about Food Inc. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a legitimate amount of people starting to say, yeah, you know, we need to get back to natural food and, you know, the way God intended and that stuff. If, if 
our mindset as a culture starts to come go to oh well this is the wave of the future we need to start adjusting our ways because of things that haven't even happened yet um to undo that Mm -hmm. so many of these things and part of the reason why that scares me so much all a lot of the things that we're talking about tonight are very scary scary propositions because there's really no going back from that and if if the bottom of the pyramid is suddenly of five missions and we build our economy around that our whole system around that mm-hmm. then it take a generation or two at least to undo and it's going to take a generation or two to be those unintended consequences so this is like huge stuff that i feel like is being oh you know well well it's just the wave of the future and this is just the way that that things are going and you know that kind of relates to everything that's going along with the pandemic and, and everything that's going along with what's going on in the world. And um, sorry, this is maybe out of left field, but so many people are, well, you know, China's been wearing, wearing masks for years and why, why can't we start wearing masks? It's not that big a deal. It's a huge deal because first of all, when are we using China as the gold standard? Second of all, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We can't say, oh, this is the way that the world's going. Let's just follow along with it. Most of us like the way that the world is now. And to, to preemptively make a move based on, oh, you know, this is what experts project the world is going is, it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and and, and the most obvious um, thing to look at is masks, obviously, and the the great mask debate and and everything. But, you know, this this whole new normal thing, and when people use that language, I absolutely hate that language because I feel like like it justifies um, some of these scary things that are happening in the world, and it's being normalized. Mm -hmm. And... Thanksgiving being canceled is, is being normalized. Oh, well, you know, we have to do it. This is the way that the world is going. You know, it's not my choice. And everybody acts like it's not their choice. Everybody acts like they don't have a say in the matter. Everybody acts like, well, you know, everybody's doing it. So I might as well do it. And it just, it really upsets me. I, I, I go, you know, every couple of days, I'll, I'll read a news article and I'll just get really angry at what I'm reading because I just, I worry that people are giving up. You know, we were joking at this top of the show that it's been, we're nine months into this pandemic and it's not going anywhere. There's no sign of it stopping. And too many people are saying, well, you know, historically these things last 18 months and, and be that as it may, you know, we're halfway through we've got another nine months of what we've already done. That, that really worries me for, for people, for families, for health, for mm-hmm. so many things um, that 
again, unintended consequences that are going to change the world in a negative way. And the more people keep acting like, oh, you know, this is just the wave of the future. This is the new normal. Um, I, I think a lot of terrible things can happen in the name of the new normal. Yeah, I agree with that. I think a lot of these things that are being pushed, I don't necessarily agree with. Um, and I think they are scary and they kind of create a cognitive dissonance in my mind, like taking the world or country I grew up in and fundamentally changing it is a terrifying prospect. Um, but the thing that I, I look at on the other side is the world is changing. So how do I need to adapt within that change? Um, and I guess, how do we need to adapt as a nation within that change? Um, you know, the, the technology is getting more and more and more advanced. And so we won't be that far removed from a point where we don't need humans to build cars anymore. Like we don't need people to grow food anymore. And so how are we gonna deal with that? I think is, is the questions that are being asked. And right now, the idea that's brought up is, well, we just give everybody food. We just give, make guarantee everyone has shelter or healthcare or whatever it is. And while those are an option, I don't know if they're necessarily the best option, um, but the question remains, right? Like, I think that's the problem is the question still remains. Whatever we do, like, we're going to get to this point where eventually these things happen um, and we need to deal with them. It's funny because I'm reading this book that my uncle sent me and it's called The Accidental Superpower. And it's talking about how America rose to prominence and became the superpower in the world. And it's really fascinating, I'm about halfway through it. But basically, at the end of World War II, America took all the leaders of the Europe and, and got them into a room in Bretton Woods in Connecticut or New Hampshire, and um, sat them down and said, okay, Europe, France, uh, well, France and England and, and all these other countries, not Germany, not yet, they were still technically fighting, but they basically sat them down, they said, we're going to guarantee the safety of the seas and we're gonna remove all tariffs and you're gonna have free trade across the world with us. And also you're gonna get rid of all your empires, Europe. And to England and France, and then eventually Germany and um, Japan and you know, much, much later to the Soviet Union and Russia, um, those are terrifying prospects. But because America, had that leadership and said, this is how things are going because the way things have been going with you guys and your empires is killing tens of millions of people and it's devastating the world. So now things are gonna be different and you're gonna do it our way. And it was, and it's led to this era of global peace and prosperity and people being lifted out of poverty and just all these great changes because America fundamentally shifted how the world functioned. And now, the world's changing again. I think the problem is, is that America's not the, that, they're not that impetus anymore. They're not the ones taking the charge and like saying, here's how we can make this great, which is 
you know again kind of america's thing oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) so i think that's what makes it interesting is that it's kind of the rest of the world is pressuring us to say you need to change and we're resisting that and i think some of that resistance is right like you're saying cameron but i think if if we're going to resist it then i for me personally i need to know what are we offering you know, as the alternative to this grand social reset that that essentially the rest of the world is pushing on us. You know, I I'm, I doubt we'll get to that answer, but like, I, I I did see. I, I think that's a good oh, thought. Yeah, uh, Andrew Yang, who I follow, and I and I find him interesting. I think for the most part, um, had he been a nominee for president, I would have. I probably would have been uh, very interested in him. Uh, even though, you know, his policies are pretty far left, but, you know, he, he doesn't condescend very much, which I appreciate, but he posted something that said, you know, Canada's, uh, Canada's constitution says peace, order, and good government. And he said, wouldn't that be nice? And it got me to thinking about a conversation I had had weeks earlier or months earlier, I think with a former student and we kind of got into this discussion about, you know, why can't the U.S. have healthcare? Why can't the U.S. have all these things? And I, I got to a point, and I think I saw it in that tweet, peace, order, and good government. Well, if that's, that's a Commonwealth thing, right? All the British Commonwealth have that kind of in their constitutions. See, that's, their, that's the ends of their government, right? That's their, their objective. That's their purpose, right? To have peace, order, and good government. And those are good things. I'd rather have good government than bad government. I'd rather have um, order than lawlessness, and I'd rather have peace than war. But see, that's not what our—that's not what our founding documents say. Our founding documents say that we're doing this so that we can have a more perfect union, so that we can guarantee life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so, our our the objective of the United States is not peace and order and good government. It's life and liberty. And as long as that's our objective, I think it's a worthy and virtuous objective. As long as that's the objective, we can't knee jerk into stripping a right to save some lives. You know, New Zealand or Australia, you know, just locked everything down. And, you know, they're knocking on people's doors at their houses if they've tweeted something that they don't like. Um, I think it was New Zealand after their one shooting banned all the, the assault rifles just like the next day. It's like, yeah, but they have a different purpose for their government than we do. And ours is to guarantee, not provide, but guarantee these particular rights and, and keep those from being infringed. And I think that's where, when the rest of the world looks to the United States right now, says be a leader, change. It's like, yeah, we have a different purpose. Our purpose is to guarantee rights, not to, not to turn around and uh, throw out our laws so that we can prevent a disease. Um, and it's funny because I think FDR is one of the strongest presidents we've ever had because he's, he's pushed through um, – very strong legislation 
he also locked up an entire race of people during World War II. And today, I mean, it, it's amazing what we get upset about today, but he did that to an entire population. And uh, almost nobody made a stink about it at the time. And as you were talking about that, it just it kept popping in my head that, you know, the original or, or the individual, excuse me, versus the collective, you know, and, and what I get out of, you know, that Canadian um, thought process versus the American thought process is that it's just two totally different things. It's, you know, Strong government leading the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Oh, yeah. Have a good night, buddy. You too. Bye. Don't call it dad about history for nothing, huh? Nope. Um, but but yeah, it's to summarize what you just said in, in comparison between the two declarations, I guess we'll call them, is strong government government leading versus the individual leading and yeah. you're right i mean that's the end of the game is where is all this stuff coming from you know this second bill of rights is this being provided by the government or is this something that you know as heads of the household we are trying to scratch and claw and and get the best we can for our family yeah I, I think, and something comes to mind just now, and maybe it's appropriate or maybe it's not, but I think it's something good to end on. And I, and I think there's a ton more we could have with this conversation, but what is being presented in some of this great reset in some of these second bill of rights and some of these new ideas, not necessarily new ideas, but it's like, Hey, this, this pandemic is showing there is some weaknesses in our system in our systems, right? Our system, other systems, we have some weaknesses. There's some, there's some points on which if there's put too much stress, we can have serious issues, right? And I know you've experienced that with this pandemic very personally with your work. Like that's a stress point. That's a, that's a point at which uh, our system was not prepared to handle. And there's a lot of people that are in a much worse situation than, than you were, yeah. but it's, it's almost like we're being asked, listen, if you can just, just give up these few rights, if you can just give up these few decision points, if you can just give up um, some of these things and, and maybe the word selfish gets thrown around, you're selfish for wanting to hack, to hold on to that or keep that. But if you can just give those things up, we can give you everything you need. Everything you need can be provided, but you got to just give these few things up. And what comes to mind, and again, I might be taking a big leap here, might be a jump, might be inappropriate, <clears throat> but I think of Jesus in the desert, those 40 days of testing. Mm, yeah. And there's a particular point, and as a historian, I've always kind of looked at that. Um, you know, he takes Jesus up onto the hilltop, he says, look at, look at all these empires. And what I, eventually I realized was that what 
which Satan showed him there was the ability to um, reach out and tell every empire, every person in the world right there who he was ahead of his father's plan, right? Way ahead of schedule, but he could have done it. He could have talked to the, you yeah. know, the precursors, to the Aztecs or the Maya, um, to tribes in, in Southern Africa, to the Chinese empire. Like these are things that he would have been presented with in my mind. That, that's what I see. Um, I'll give you what you really, really want. You just have to bend the knee. Hey, I think that's beautifully said. I think that's beautifully said. And the collective. What, what are you willing to give up to get provided for? Yeah. What are you willing to give up rights-wise before you say, no, that's enough. It stops right here. Yeah. And, and I that's think. That's different for every person. The struggle is always collective versus individual. And there's a lot of things a collective can do really well. It does cost something to the individuals. And I think in many cases, we, we do that voluntarily, right? We have communities that we enter into and we give up some of our self to reap the benefits of those communities, whether it's a church community, a school community, our local city government, whatever it is. And there's some things that we retain as individuals and we feel necessary to retain um, but the struggle is always between those two, collective and individual. And the more we lean toward one, the more we give up of the other. So there's a balance in there. Um, I'd like to think of myself as an individualist, but I've watched enough of like flying wild Alaska and life below zero. I would not make it, right? So I, I do need the benefits <laughs> of of the collective around me and society and some of those things. I, I yeah. do need it and I have used it. Um, but there's certain things I just feel I, I can't give up. And to give up, I would be betraying myself to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, to, just the conscience. So many that are going on in the world right now is I just, I can't betray. And, and when people ask me about certain things, you know, oh, well, why won't you wear a mask everywhere? Or why won't you do this? Or why won't you do that? And, and my answer to it is just my, my convictions won't allow me to do it. feel like I'm being um, disingenuous if I if I don't draw the line somewhere because this is this craziness has got to stop somewhere. Yeah. Well, I think that may be a good stopping point. Sound good? Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Agree. We covered a lot of ground tonight. Yeah. So if you're one of the lone souls that made it this deep into this podcast, um, you know, like subscribe, all that stuff. Um, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on TikTok now. TikTok. Hey, not doing any dances <laughs> yet. Um, but you know, reach out to us, leave a comment below and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, 
other than that, I'll say, uh, you know, we'll see you back next time. Cameron. Thanks, everybody. It's been great. Good times. Dadbot History. Out. <laughs>